episode 31 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, January 9th, 2020. Big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. Happy New Year, Courtney. Happy New Year. How are you? Good. You're ready. Ready to chat? Yeah. Yeah. It's been it's been a month, so we, we have a lot to chat about. Did you have a good break? I got a terrible head cold. Oh. So well. yes, it was restful. <laughs> but maybe not the best. Most of them. Mm, yeah. I drank my share of tea. Tea is good. Yes. How about you? We had a really good break. Um, my family went to Lake Louise in the Canadian Rockies. So it was very, very cold. Like minus, How cold? Uh, it was like a minus 11 Celsius, which I think is about 4 Fahrenheit. 4 Fahrenheit. When we got there. And then it warmed up to about a high of 22 Fahrenheit. But on the plus side, it meant I got to wear all of my knitwear. So I wore my Descent cardigan. I wore my <laughs> other yoke one that I made that was the turquoise with the swirls. I wore this dark navy blue one that I had made a few years ago that's in this really sheepy kind of worsted weight that I rarely get to wear because it's so warm. I wore all my hats. I wore my cowls. I wore mittens. My people wore knit hats that I made. It's great. And we ate fondue. Okay. So, yeah. And you saw some lichen. You sent me some lichen. Oh, yeah. We, saw, we, we kept going on these um, hikes, and our hiking guide would point out lichen on the trees. And I knew that you liked them, so I took pictures. I'm fascinated with lichen. Yeah. So that was cool. Lots of good things to see there. Yeah. It was fun. Family had fun. And now we're home and back, back at it. The crazy, crazy world of teenagers. And January is like um, a giant, refreshing start to all that is holiday excess. (laughs) Or at least it is in our house. So, today, on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand, on the horizon, we're going to... Goals! Goals! And we're going to do a quick review of our goals from last year, and then look ahead to this year. Rest in peace, last year's goals. (laughs) (laughs) Or some of them, at least. Some of them. Some of them are revamped and mm-hmm. ready to go. And then at the end, stay tuned for a giveaway. Um, Very exciting. We have merchandise, as you may have seen if you follow us on Instagram. So stick around for that. All right. On the needles. That's me. So knitting news, first of all, it is almost time for Stitches West. I mean, it's like a month and a half away. No, well. Not even. But it's coming. And it is only going to be in Santa Clara for two more years. What? It's moving to Sacramento in 2022. Well, we could take the train. We could. We'll see. It's supposed to be more room, more hotel space, more restaurants, more everything, and cheaper for the organizers, so I understand why they're doing it. In terms of a day trip, it's a little bit tricky for me. Although at that point, I might be able to just, you know, make a whole train of it. Yeah. So we'll see about that. I'm sort of... Sacramento has a lot to offer. I think it's not a terrible... No. It's just a little bit less convenient for me. And they, they apparently didn't fully take that into consideration. <clears throat> anyway, and then the Stash and Burn podcast is back. They are one of the original knitting podcasts that I certainly listened to. Um, and they had been on about a two-year hiatus, and they have started podcasting again. So if you were a fan of theirs and did not see that they were back, go search for them in your podcast feeds and, and start listening again. I did 31 projects last year. 
13,718 yards of knitting. So that was kind of cool. Oh my gosh. How do you have these metrics? Ravelry is the knitting social hub online. And if you put in your projects and how much yarn you use, they will give give you all sorts of data. Yeah, Mm, those metrics. So that was fun. And I went to, oh, and I went to San Diego in December. I guess this is technically on the road, but it's very brief for a regatta. And I went to a lovely little yarn store called Apricot Yarns. And the lady there was so nice. And they had an amazing selection of yarns, a lot of local yarns and organic, naturally dyed, independent dyers. It was really great. So I had a fun fun time there. And you should check them out if you were in San Diego. And it's in a cute little shopping neighborhood. It used to be a Navy base, I think. And they've made it into Hmm. restaurants and stores and things like that. So that was a cool, cool little side trip for me. All right, actual knitting. I have been knitting. I knit all of the Christmas presents. (laughs) I am very impressed with myself. The last time I knit Christmas presents, gosh, I mean, it was probably six or seven years ago. I think I made tags then too, didn't I? Probably. It was much more organized and I got totally stressed out by it and decided I was never doing it again. And so this one, I knocked out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven gifts. Seven-ish gifts in wow. like a month. And I was happy about it. I still feel good about it. So that was fun. All right. So what I knit. Oh, actually, one of them wasn't a gift. It was for me. So <laughs> I made, but it was sort of a gift tester. Gift for self. Gift for self. I need a gift too. Um, so I made slippers for myself and my mom. The pattern is called Mine, M-I-N-E, by Faye Kennington. And for myself, I had some Lion Brand Woolies Thick and Quick Tweeds in gray marble. And then my mom got three Irish girls, Galena's Chunky in Circe, which is uh, turquoise, bright, bright turquoise. It's a lovely pattern. You can make, well, at least I was able to make a slipper in about an hour. Seriously? Yeah, because it's chunky yarn. So there's no oh, okay. stitches. Okay. The problem was I kept, I don't even know what I was doing. Oh, first I had the wrong, oh, I think I talked about this a little bit last time. I had my needles break. Mm-hmm. I had the wrong needle size. The needles broke. So it went, and then I ran out of yarn. So I went down, redid the whole thing, and that finally worked. Oh, except that when I started the second slipper, I forgot that I was making them for me and started them in the bigger size that I was going to make for my mom. So I had to rip that off again. The first pair was a disaster. The second pair that was actually for my mom went amazingly smoothly, very quickly. They're great. They're super comfy. I've been wearing them around the house. They had this nice cable pattern on the on the top of your foot, and then... Just chunky softness all around. So that was fun. Do you ever slip? I have not. I have been worried about that. Um, But so far, it's been okay. Okay. I'm a little more careful going downstairs. And then I made hats for both my boys. Already done the one for boy number two I talked about last time. So the one I finished this time was the Stash Busting Helix Hat by Jessica Rose, which has a nice ribbed band. And then you just keep striping three other colors. And she has a cool way of doing it so you don't get bumps in your stripes. It turned out very cute. He's been wearing it a lot. Boy number one has. And then I made a little gnome for my aunt in 49ers colors because she's a big fan and I thought it was really cute. (laughs) I wanted to make a gnome. So the pattern is gnome pun intended by Sarah Shira who is Imagine Landscapes on Ravelry and they have uh, she and her sister have a podcast as well called Imagine Landscapes. 
So she does all sorts of gnome patterns, and I just picked this one and tried it, and it was so cute. Turns out really it's got a little, he's a little stuffed gnome, and his little beard comes cascading <laughs> down, and he's, he's got this hat that comes up and kind of tips over, and it's very cute. I really that enjoyed is, it. That sounds great. And then for my nephew, the one nephew got the tiger hat. The other nephew got a monster truck hat because he is a big fan. And every time my sister posts pictures of them at one of the monster truck shows that they go to, they always look very cold because <laughs> it's often outside, oh my like at the Oakland Coliseum. Yeah. So I thought he needed a hat. So I found this really cute hat that has monster trucks on it. Color work monster trucks and then ear flaps in the matching colors. So ear flaps sound like a like a nice it was decorative element to yeah. a monster truck rally hat. I, it was kind of what needed either and that, that one, or Viking horns. Oh yeah, that would have been <laughs> good too. I went with a pom pom as well. Oh good, multicolored pom pom. I, I endorse so pom pom. Yeah. So overall, it was good, and I think those are all the gifts. So yes, and then I had the other hats that I had made before. Yeah. So those were my gifts. And then once that was done, I got to knit some more for myself. So I finally finished my Rylite socks by Tin Can Knits using my Richard DeVries Pepino Fingering yarn in the Peppermint Bark colorway, which is a white with kind of pink and green and red. It's variegated, so it's not. So it kind of did pooling, but it looks like Peppermint Bark. And they're very lovely. And they, they weren't quite finished in time for Christmas, but they were finished for my vacation or during the vacation. So again, all of the knit things because it was really cold in Canada, as you might expect. And then I knit a hat for myself. I was hoping to get it done for the trip, which did not happen. This is the Full Spectrum Hat by Andrea Rangel. And the yarn I used is from Gage Dye Works and the colorway was Daybreak. And this is the hat. You start at the top of a hat and you work your way down and then you keep going it becomes the bottom of the second hat. Oh, and then the top. you stick. No, you don't actually. Stick. You could. Oh, you could this to, is the one you that... kind of stick inside. So you have, so you have a double-sided hat, reversible, double thick, extra warm, extra warm. Which again, Canada thought would be good. Didn't happen. But I just finished it. Now you have to go back to Canada. Now I have to go back to Canada. <laughs> I would go back. It was a fabulous trip. I just finished it a few days ago. Um, so the one side is mostly gray with a big kind of bubblegum pink stripe. And the other side is the same gray with a hot pink colorwork portion. There was a pattern in the pattern. <laughs> there was a colorwork chart in the pattern. But I realized as I was looking at, at the pattern and reading through, and it said, if you're using this other yarn, you'll see the pictures on the website. She used a different colorwork chart from her book, Alternate. I was like, oh, I have that book. I have that oh. book. So it occurred to me that, hey, I don't have to use that same pattern. I could pick something else out. So I did. So that was kind of fun. So I used the cin buns, so like cinnamon buns pattern. So it's little swirls, but they're squished together. So they are reminiscent of cinnamon buns. So that was fun. And color work, I don't know, color work makes things go a little more quickly. And that was the last thing I finished. So I'm almost a little bit at a blank slate. Now. Wow. Trying to get back to my Elton cardigan. I worked a little bit on that. It's frustrating, though. It's just, it's really, this is the one that's, you do alternating stripes of fingering and lace weight yarn in the okay. same color. And it's just going to take forever. Oh. And the lace mohair is a little bit difficult to work with. It's not super smooth. It keeps getting stuck. 
kind of to itself. So it's not the most enjoyable knit, but I really want the sweater. So we'll see. I might just, you know, power through it. I'll either power through or just start something totally different. We shall see. And I think that is all the knitting. That's excellent for a month of yeah. knitting, especially so many gifts. I'm very impressed. So, but no guarantees that'll happen next year. <laughs> no promises to anyone. I think that's a very good plan is to set everyone's expectations lower, which I'm about to do with my Christmas card. <laughs> All right, on the easel. On the easel. I don't know what my problem was with this chapbook, but boy, did it drag on. I just got stuck somewhere, and I think it was my finger injury that really slowed my roll. And then I was just trying to embrace it. And basically, I got this thing in the mail Christmas Eve and then sent the rest a couple days after Christmas because I ran out of ink. Oh, I know. That was a blow. Um, just one color, too. So it was like I had I had extra, extra, extra of everything except magenta. So I was held up because I had so much brown and brown animals and trees and... Ugh, anyway. So the chapbook. Which, amazing. Thank you. To those of you who who received a chapbook, thank you for your wonderful little comments and acknowledgments and little snippets in your stories. And that really makes the whole thing completely worthwhile because while I love everyone on my Christmas card list, it's a lot of friends and family and uh, people who don't know that I spend all my day painting. So it's kind of fun for them to see, oh, okay, this is what she's working on. <laughs> so the chapbooks are gone. I already have an idea for next year's Christmas card, and it is not a chapbook. And I'm very excited. I painted, I, I want to talk about the, the next project, but I did paint a little bit for Christmas, and they were gifts and commissions and I did paint a sea turtle for someone and it came out really great and I have failed at sea turtles repeatedly so that was very satisfying to to land a sea turtle for once the trick with sea turtles in case you're wondering because I can tell yes <laughs> they're in water yes so it's not like a bird, there's nothing between you and a bird on a branch. You can just see them with your eyeballs and that's that. You know, it's yeah. just air. There's something about the water between you and the sea turtle. You know, like you've only seen a sea turtle with goggles or, you know what I mean? It's, it's, I mean, they poke their heads up. They do poke their heads out, but then there's the water below them yeah. that distorts how you see their body. And I've always just had trouble conveying that that sea turtle is in water and so what I did differently is I did an all watercolor background first oh. and so then slowly layered 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 and built up the backgrounds and it had more atmosphere and that really worked hmm. and it was an interesting and different approach for me to and then I painted the sea turtle and gouache on top of the watercolor I don't know. It just turned out differently. Huh. So you think having the watercolor made it look different or it just put you in a different frame of mind? for Maybe a little bit of both, but I think that there was no white on the paper mm. when I... So you have to I, brush the colors differently. 
yeah, I did. I approached the whole thing differently and built it really slowly. And and that was a, a successful commission from my perspective. And I don't know who received it. It was somebody who bought it as a gift for someone else. And so I felt really good handing it off. I hope it was received in the same vein. Then to start out the month, I have been doing a little bit of the Pantry Art Project, which is a month-long paint-along with Patrice Sketches on Instagram, and I'll we'll do some linking to her to her hashtag for this. And she started it off as a as a way to get people painting again after the holidays. She was going to donate a dollar to her local food bank for every artist who participated. And so I jumped in for the first week. I've taken a step back right now, but I feel like she's got tremendous momentum and it's awesome to see all of the food packaging and that kind of thing that people are painting. And you love doing that. I do love doing that. I also am very interested in doing something for Australia. Um, I'm seeing a lot of beautiful koala or kangaroo art um, or native species art to auction off for Australian fire relief. And our favorite people over at Three Fish Studios are doing that same thing again like they did for our wildfires. So there's a lot of that going on, and we will um, contribute to fire relief, but I want to do something artistic as well. And there are knitting groups that are doing things as well. Yeah, there was that great one to do pouches and that kind of thing. But I am excited to report that my big series is ready to rock and roll. I got the first letter. Ready to launch. Thank you to people who have reached out to us either on my Instagram or through our Craft Cook Read Repeat Instagram. First batch of surveys is headed into the mail. I love to send and receive real mail. The first few incarnations of this are going to be real mail, but I am taking the plunge, technologically speaking, and trying to figure out a way to make this a digital survey so that people who do not want to share their mailing address or would rather just do it online, we we have that accessibility for people. So that's coming. And those of you that emailed us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com are on that list as well. Right. So I should say what this project is in a nutshell. This project is called Limb and Latitude, and that's L-I-M-N. And limb means to paint or depict, so that makes sense. And then latitude is a map reference, and it's also like, give me some latitude here. Let me play. And so I am asking for people's favorite places in the world, and it can be places from your backyard to halfway around the globe. There's a a five or six question survey that's asking some details about your favorite place. And then my plan, once I receive them back, is to do some research and read about the history of your place, to look at some maps, draw my own maps, depict it visually in a way that either you've referenced or that has come up in my research. I'm also excited to add in a food and reading element. 
So I, if your place is um, a foreign country or it has some kind of regional cuisine, I'm going to try to do a sweet and a savory recipe. I'm also looking at art and literature, mostly right now, ones that I'm not, people I'm not familiar with, authors I'm not familiar with, or artists that, you know, like not Vincent Van Gogh, but somebody who wouldn't necessarily come up in the conversation. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. And I- Are you working on one right now? I'm working on the Netherlands because my, one of my favorite places is Amsterdam. And so I thought I would start, just get the ball rolling and start working on Amsterdam and painting some of the things that interest me. One of the things that I love when I travel is postage. I always buy postage stamps, even if I have no intention of sending a postcard. I love to just see what their postage stamps look like. So I am drawing a couple postage stamps more in appreciation for postage, not trying to like copy someone else's art, you know. I'm I'm just really excited to see where it goes. I'm leaving it. I'm giving myself a lot of latitude and seeing what comes in. I expect that somebody else's favorite place might be Amsterdam and then I can add to that body of work when it comes time and sort of just build it up and see where it goes. I'll have a little collection of Netherland images and then I don't know what I'll do with those yet. I have some ideas, but we'll see. Cool. I look forward to seeing it develop. Well, I'm excited to tell you about some Dutch recipes and some Dutch literature that I've been reading. So it's gonna, you know, it's not just the art side of things. It'll be everything. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Anything else? No, I'm my cup runneth over. If anyone is interested in receiving a real piece of mail for this uh, question with the questionnaire, just let us know in Instagram or at our Gmail address, and we will get you one. Yes. All right then. On the table. I haven't done a ton of cooking because travel it was and Christmas. Holidays. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we had our Christmas Eve lobster fest which wasn't quite sure how that was going to go now that our main lobster person is a vegetarian, but it all worked out. Um, <laughs> boy one took over the cooking of the lobsters. He's been sort of training with Simon for as long as we've been doing this, which is, I don't know, five years or so now. And then Simon's brother, who obviously grew up in the same family and eating lobsters, kind of knows how to cook them. So he was helping and supervising. Um, so it all worked out very well. But you're down two lobster eaters, right? Or did... Just one. Oh, just Simon. Yeah. Everyone else. Well, the nephews and boy two eat pizza. French bread pizza, because we don't usually have that. So that's that's their Christmas Eve dinner. And then everyone else eats lobster. And then we had um, corn pudding and a big salad. So it's very autopilot on repeat Christmas Eve, which is kind of what you need, I think. Absolutely. I highly endorse this approach. We got back from our trip and we had a birthday dinner. I have a 16-year-old in the house now, which is crazy. crazy. He wanted pasta Alfredo, so we did that. And then for his cake, he had a vanilla cake with cherry filling and fondant frosting, which I buy. <laughs> you can tell my joy of fondant. He loves fondant. Both of my kids love fondant. I do not love fondant, but it was his birthday, so he got fondant on his cake. 
And then for Christmas, I got an Instant Pot. Not any Instant Pot. The RTD. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so we will be having an Instapot journey this year as I learn how to work it. So I have used it once. I made pumpkin black bean chili the other night, and it was delicious. The tricky part and what is going to take the most work is that the actual cooking, the pressure cooking part of it, was 30 minutes. What is it does not say is how long it takes to come up to pressure. I've heard this. Yeah. And um, I've heard not that complaint, but I've heard this comment about it's a little bit of a complaint. I mean, it took 20 to 30 minutes for it to come up to pressure. So it's not a 30-minute recipe. It's like an hour long. And then I did the manual bringing it the pressure down. So that didn't take very long. But, you know, it's not super fast. So it's just going to be getting to know the machine, how long it takes. Because I did, uh, they have you, before you cook anything with it, you do kind of a tester just with water to make sure. And that took about 10 minutes to come up to pressure. I think because it was three cups of water and the chili made, I don't know, a gallon of chili. And it was a lot more stuff in the machine. So it's just going to be a matter of getting to know the machine. It looks like there's a delay start button, so that could be helpful. I can get it all ready and then go drive children around and it'll start and be ready when we come back, I think. I hope. We'll see. This seems like a time when the internet would be very helpful about tips and tricks for yes running your R2-D2 hot pot. Or it's not so hot cute. pot. What is it? Instant, Instant pot. pot. Instant pot. So yes, and I did go on Pinterest and found a bunch of Instant Pot recipes that are gluten-free and vegetarian. Or, I mean, I did. <laughs> <sighs> My life. So yeah, and so, but the chili was really good. It has um, black beans and pumpkins and walnuts and lentils and all kinds of things and chipotle and spices, but not too spicy. So it was very good and it made a ton. So we had definitely enough for dinner. We've been eating it for lunch. Um, and I think I have a decent amount left over still that I'm probably going to throw in the freezer. Is this from, is this from the oh. Tuesday? No, this was from, oh, we need to talk about that too. This was from the Wimpy Vegetarian, her oh. website. Delicious, I recommend it. Just have to know how long it's going to take you to actually make. Well done. Thanks. So does R2-D2 now take up counter space or do you have a... A place for him in your kitchen. I rejiggered my pantry so he has a spot on the bottom shelf in the pantry that I can easily access him. Great. Which is key, I believe. So I will be looking. If you have recommendations for your favorite Instapot recipes, throw them in the episode post and let me know. Especially if they are vegetarian and or gluten-free. All right. How about you? We hosted Christmas dinner. We do the same thing every year on repeat and everybody appreciates having that continuity and it is, I wouldn't say fail proof, but we've worked out so many of the kinks now that it makes Christmas day prep very streamlined. So we host about 26 people. Whoa. And so we do beautiful beef tenderloins, which are Easy, low maintenance. Every single stitch of that beef tenderloin gets eaten. I do scallop potatoes, a pretty light recipe, I have to say, because I instead of doing it with all the heavy cream and cheese, it's three quarters chicken stock, and the rest is cream and parmesan. 
and that lightens it up considerably. And I make that ahead of time, the day before. I do brined and roasted cauliflower. It can be brined the day before, and then I just put it in the under the broiler while the meat is resting. Slice it into steak, nice. the cauliflower. Oh, so you roast the whole? The whole, yeah. Oh. Brine it whole, roast it whole. Interesting. It's really nice, easy recipe. It kind of takes up a little space in the fridge the day before, but I have to do three heads for this group. Oh, roasted carrots. That's how we get the kids to eat vegetables because they're not so crazy about the roasted cauliflower. I also make about a million cookies and then the kids decorate the cookies while we're having our cocktail hour. Smart. So they they were running around with like frosting on their <laughs> faces. We have a lot of little ones right now, so it's pretty cute. And then they go home with their parents and bounce around. My boys did help do some of oh, the and decorating. Oh, it's Christmas night, so you can't even threaten them with Santa. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, bummer. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's a free-for-all. Yeah. So that was our Christmas dinner. Um, and then shortly after that, I came down with the most fierce head cold I've had in a long, long time. Yeah, at least it was after. It was after. One of those days, I made a giant lasagna, and we just sort of nibbled at that for a few days. It was not based off of a recipe. I just kind of layered it, you know, made my ragu sauce and layered a lasagna. Lately, I have been cooking a ton from the Tuesday night, the Christopher Kimball cookbook, which we'll talk about in our next episode. Yes. So I'm saving all of my recipe notes from that because, holy catfish, that is a great cookbook. Isn't it good? And yeah, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's really good. We really love it. It has also prompted me to buy spices I would never, ever have picked up. So my spice cupboard is a little bit so diverse right now. (laughs) But what I really want to talk about are the two recipes from the Netherlands that I made this week. Oh, cool. One is like a really traditional winter dish in the Netherlands. It's called Stampot. It looks like Colcannon from Ireland. It's potatoes, onions, parsnips, carrots, leeks, all chopped up and then in a in a deep pot just covered to the top of the vegetables with chicken stock or water or like a ham hock base stock, that type of thing. It's meant to use up leftovers or vegetables that are in the drawer. Once those are all cooked, then you drain the liquid and mash it. And so it's like a vegetable mash and you serve it with smoked sausage or like a kielbasa type thing. I don't care so much for the smoky profile and so I just did regular sausages. It was delicious and warm and perfect for winter and it is a a really, when I was looking at traditional um, Netherland recipes or Dutch recipes, this kept coming up over and over and over again. And there are a lot of variations. Whatever kind of root vegetables you can you know, you can add and subtract sweet potatoes or different squashes or whatever you want. Uh, Do really, you mash it with any, anything? Uh, butter. Oh, okay. It is, you know, it's still the Netherlands. <laughs> uh, lots of butter and a little bit of salt and pepper. Very simple, wonderful dish. We loved it. I also made 
I kept seeing this. Um, I wonder if I could make that in my Instant Pot. I'm sure you could make it in your Instant Pot, awesome. although it would probably take longer for your Instant Pot to come <laughs> up to pressure could be. than it would to just boil it. But you could set it and yeah. forget it. Set yeah. it and forget it. There we go. I also made a sweet recipe that was based on a bake shop in Amsterdam. And by bake shop in Amsterdam, I mean bakery. I love Amsterdam for the like watery canals and the bikes and the Van Gogh Museum. I'm not talking about the seedier side of Amsterdam, in case anybody was like questioning that. They had this chocolate cookie, Dutch chocolate cookie with a, a white chocolate wafer inside. I kept seeing references to this cookie, and I don't know the Dutch name for it, but I found an awesome recipe. And then I went out and sourced real Dutch cocoa powder mm. and made them. The dough was killer good because I tried it. And then the well, cookies, uh huh, the cookies absolutely disappeared. I saved that one for you aside so that you delicious. could taste it. And but, then you start eating it, and then all of a sudden there's the white chocolate in the middle. Surprise! What is this? I think that this is the most excited I've seen my family respond to an art project, you know, because <laughs> this is all coming from Lemon Latitude and, and how I want to have a little culinary experience of each of these places too. So they are very appreciative are all of the sudden board. that I am doing this project. So those are my two. I may come up with another recipe or two from the Netherlands that appeals, but those are the two that I wanted to share with you today. Delicious. Yeah. All right, on the nightstand. So first of all, book I talked about last time, it is Royal Holiday, not Royal Christmas. Um, just wanted to correct that because I Errata. Was yeah, was listening and realized it was wrong. Anyway, still a good book. Go read it. I read three books by Tana French. In the Woods, The Trespasser, which I actually listened to on audio, and The Witch Elm. So what I realized, I finished In the Woods, which is the first one. I don't know was the first one she wrote. It's the first one in the Dublin Murders series, which I think is up to six or seven now. But uh, they just came out with the TV series on Stars, So I think everybody is trying to read them in order now. But what I realized, at least the most recent one, is totally different characters. So you don't actually have to read them in order. It's not, it does not seem to follow one character through the whole series. Okay. So I read the last one in the series, or the most recent one, and then Witch Elm is a total standalone, although it does take place in Dublin and there is a murder, but it is from a suspect's point of view. So her thing seems to be first-person narrator with some sort of trauma that affects how they view the story that they are in. So In the Woods is the first one, the one the TV series is based on. There is body of a young girl is found in the woods in a suburb of Dublin, and the detective assigned to it is one of three children that went missing in those same woods at, when they were the same age, you know, so obviously years ago, and nobody knows it's him. He was the only one that came back alive. The others just vanished. I did read this one. And he doesn't remember anything that happened. Like, he was found in the woods, can't remember anything. So he's trying to stay on the investigation to maybe also find out what happened to him, see if it's related. Good, good mystery. The Witch Elm is the standalone, except again, also Dublin, also murder. 
The narrator is Toby. He's in his late 20s, kind of a poster child for white male privilege, but still a really nice guy. Uh, until he wakes up one night and there's burglars in his apartment. He goes out to confront them and is beaten and left for dead. Um, he recovers, but has a lot of memory loss, emotional issues, kind of trying to put his life back together, and uh, is living with his uncle for a while at the old family house, and a skull is found. It's obviously related somehow to the family, and they're being investigated, but he has all these large memory gaps, so he doesn't remember a lot of what happened when the alleged murder took place. So that one was also pretty good. I think that one is in my, like, I'm on the wait list for that one. Yes. I'm, that doesn't sound familiar. Oh, yeah, that one I got on an ebook. Um, and then the last one I read was The Trespasser, or this was the audio one, which you get all the nice Irish accents. So that was fun. Always good. Yeah. The narrator is a young woman who is a detective on the murder squad, and they get a case that they think is a normal domestic violence murder. So they're investigating it, but there's lots of weird stuff going on. And, you know, obviously can't be that straightforward, but maybe it is. This one I had some issues with. So if you'd want no spoilers, skip ahead a little bit. <laughs> what I'm going to talk about is... What do I do? <laughs> no, so it's not a spoiler. So it is not a spoiler <laughs> for the mystery itself. Okay. It is a spoiler for the, quote, trauma, which is... Do you mind? Not at all. I was I'm so, so fine with it. cranky at the end of this. Um, <clears throat> so she is both the only woman on the murder squad and the only person of color. So she goes into it. She's only been on it for like four months. She goes into it expecting, you know, there'll be some some jokes and hazing and blah, blah, blah. But she's been police detective for a while with other departments and it's been fine. She's gotten along. She's done a great job. She's here because she's been doing a great job. But the jokes and pranks, and those are in air quotes because they're not, are really vicious. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't know who it is. No one's being helpful. Uh, you know, they're like career-ending things, like stealing a page, the witness signature page of a statement, right? So like criminals going free and her career being over. Like this is not normal kind of jokey behavior that she yeah. would expect. Is that... Is that part of and the so narrative, a, or is yeah. this your observation? No, no. So this is part of, this is her trauma. Oh. Like, in the okay. first one, the guy is investigating, but it's the scene of a crime that he experienced. And in The Witch Elm, the narrator has just been through a violent crime that has caused memory loss, and, you know, he has panic attacks, and they can't accurately, I mean, no one can ever accurately see what's happening to them. Yeah. But so this is kind of her issue is that she can't trust anybody in her department. She's got this personal stuff going on. There's weird things happening with the case that seem to be related. Like she can't tell if someone is trying to screw up. To her, sabotage her work. To or, sabotage her work yeah. or if there is something weird going on. Okay. Spoiler um, over. <laughs> well, no. So now I'm getting to the spoiler part. Is that at the end, it turns out it was one guy no one else really has an issue with her. It was just one guy that was mad at her about something. And she's like, oh, okay, everyone really does like me. It's all okay. Mm -hmm. And so she's just a hysterical woman who can't take a joke, basically. is not, I don't think, what the author was trying to say. But to me, that's how it came across. Mm -hmm. And it was really frustrating because it's, you know, it's, it is really an issue for a lot of women. And also, she didn't feel like she could go to anybody. 
No one came to her and said, hey, it's just Joe Bob over there. And no one went to Joe Bob and said, hey, you're a little out of line. She didn't feel like she could go to her boss. Like she didn't, there was no, she didn't feel like she had any way of dealing with it. And it diminishes yeah. an actual real issue. So I didn't like, I didn't like how that was handled. Okay. But. Fair criticism. Spoiler over. I read The Ghost Bride by Yank C. Chu, who wrote... Another series, right? The Night Tiger. Oh, right, right, right. Yep. This one is Malaysia, late 1800s. I should make note of that when I get to Malaysia. Yes, you should. (laughs) Either of her books. Yeah, and I'm trying to stick with women, too. Oh, perfect. Just to... There you go. It doesn't always work. So this one, okay, so late 1800s, uh, she's about seven, our heroine is about 17. She was from a wealthy family, but her mother died and her father kind of fell apart and they're losing all their money. He comes to her with an offer from a rich neighbor family to be the ghost bride for their son that has passed away. And apparently this was a thing, it wasn't, didn't happen very often. But he was an only son, um, so if she married him in the spirit world, she would be treated as his widow with the family, could carry on the necessary rituals, and she would, Mm. you know, then have a place to live and all those good things that women needed. Yeah. And she's like, heck no, that's crazy. I don't know this guy. I'm not going to be a widow for my entire life. I'm 17. Dad's like, oh, yeah, okay, sure, fine. This guy starts invading her dreams. She and it's very strange. Good strange? It was a little bit strange, strange. It went <laughs> off on many directions I did not expect it to go. She goes into the ghost world. There's adventures. I would say like a three and a half. I don't know. It was okay. one of those things like I didn't, it wasn't what I expected. I'm not sure what I expected. I don't think it was that. I think I probably liked the Night Tiger better. So it was definitely interesting. So that was Ghost Bride by Yangtze Chu. Uh, and then I read The Ten Thousand Doors of January by Alex E. Hero, so another fantasy one. I gotta tell you, I have totally gone from like romance. I'm still kind of in the romance. This is not romance, but like historical fiction. I'm like all my books coming in are fantasy, sci-fi, a mm. little bit wonky. Anyway, interesting, interesting year of transformation for me. So this one is early 1900s in America. And January is the sort of adopted daughter of this rich tycoon who um, has hired her father to travel the world and, well, basically steal antiquities from all around the world to bring back to his collection. And while her dad is off traveling, he is rich guys being her guardian. Things go sideways. There's magical doors. There's other worlds. There's adventure. It was pretty fun. The beginning was a little odd in terms of I think the author is trying to make a point of we're all similar and what is exotic in one world would be mm-hmm. normal. And so nobody is really exotic. You are, you're you just people. But that it comes off a little bit. Oh, okay. As at the beginning, at least, comes off a little bit. Kind of trying too hard. It was, it was, it felt a little bit off at the beginning. But I think she brought it around and made her point. So, but it was, it was good. It was creative. And, that, and then I am currently reading The Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern, who wrote The Night Circus. So I'm about halfway through that, which is a big old book. Mm-hmm. Um, and Queen of the Conquered by Kaysen Callender, which is a Caribbean-inspired fantasy <laughs> story of colonialism and mm. power struggles with little magic thrown in. I read a lot of those at the second, or that 
final quarter of last year. Yeah. Mm. All right. And that is it. Okay. I read, I was reading some really heavy stuff. So I tried to sort of ditch that. And I picked up The Paper Garden by Molly Peacock. Molly Peacock is a poet. The Paper Garden is a biography of Mary Delaney, who was an English woman living in Ireland in like, I'm going to get the date wrong, like 1500s, 1600s. And she is the mother of decoupage or collage or something along those lines. She was the first, she was the first to really start the cut paper in the 1600s. Art mm-hmm. Wow. And best part, she was 72 when she started doing this. Nice. She was twice or thrice widowed. That's I think she had been very creative. Molly Peacock has gotten her hands on amazing letters and archival material and I guess her original collages are at the British Museum in London. And so I'm very excited to add that to my London to-do list. I don't know when I'm going to London, but at some point here, I will. be ready. Yeah. The book is one to be savored, in my opinion. So I'm kind of reading it chapter by chapter, not really rushing through it because it's just, it's written by a poet. It is Mm. wonderful. And it's kind of saucy for a book about an Irish, English-Irish-ish. She, I don't, I can't quite tell. Anglo-Irish. Yeah, thanks. I like that. It has full-color images of her collages. She was painting on big sheets of paper, like she would just wash pages with color, and then she'd mount them on very jet black backgrounds, and so they're really stunning images, and I think that adds to sort of the depth and the um, atmosphere of the whole book. And Molly Peacock is doing an exceptional job spooling out Mary's life story and how it's relating to each flower image and then Molly Peacock's own story. So there's some autobiographical string through the whole thing, and it's wonderful. It's totally worth a gander. Along with that, I read The Family Upstairs by Lisa Jewell, which is a mystery. And I've it's read some Lisa Jewell. I don't, well, anyway, this I, isn't the first one I've read of her, I think. Oh. Compelling story. There's this weird cultish family living in a, a really tony neighborhood in London. They're living in this big, huge house. And the main family, I guess you'd call them, they have a fallen circumstance. And so they bring in what they think are going to be borders, perhaps, to live in part of their house, and it turns into this really weird cult. It it has kind of like a cult vibe, and then there's a baby born, and 25 years later, she inherits the whole house. And you don't know who her parentage is because of this weird cult environment, and then they're all looking for her, and it was... I mean, you just want to read it to figure out how the heck it all fits together. Kind of a fun read. Not very Christmassy, (laughs) but there you have it. And then I had the big idea to have my Lemon Latitude project align with my reading life as well as my cooking life. And so I initially thought I was going to 
work on Belgium because um, there were some things that I wanted to cook that were Belgian, namely those liege waffles, which I still haven't gotten to. And so I ordered a book called The Book of Proper Names by Amelie Nothund. And she is Belgian by birth, but was living in France or something like that. Anyway, slim little volume. And it's about a woman who is pregnant with a baby. And her husband, boyfriend, wants to give the baby a really boring name. And she is like, I cannot let you name her Sally or whatever. (laughs) She needs to have a distinctive name if she's going to live a distinctive life. And kills the husband because he has this... It's a crazy little book. seems excessive. It's quite, quite excessive. And so the mother goes to prison for killing the father. You know, there are consequences here. And so the baby is given to her sister who has two older daughters and completely dotes on her. And then it turns into when does she find out what her mother did and Mm. like her own lineage and how does that affect her as a person. And it, it's, you know, full circle crazy, if you will. (laughs) And I'll leave it there. Um, Slim volume, really interesting though. Like I think what I'm really going to like about reading from different places and is just a different cadence and how things Mm -hmm. are translated and what images are brought forth. And I'm just, I'm so excited. Anyway, so that was my first foray into this. And then I found a Dutch author, Hendrik Groen, and he has a book called The Secret Diary of Hendrik Groen, age 83 and a quarter. And this was beautiful. I listened to it on audiobook while I've been painting the envelopes for my Lemon Latitude project. And this is the diary of a man takes place over a year in his life, and he's living in a care facility in Amsterdam. He is talking about what it's like to be a senior citizen in this country and what they're fighting over and what they care about. And he doesn't have any living family. He has a wife, but she is completely senile, doesn't know who he is. And and it's it was just beautiful to hear what brings him joy and what what regrets he has. And there's a follow-on to this that I may pick up eventually, but um, I just thought that this was a really beautiful book. Kind of sad, but I really appreciated it. I was glad to find this on audiobook because I am finding that some of the non-English books are a little bit harder to get my hands on, and so they're coming through interlibrary loan. Mm. And so there might be a little bit of a lag in how I get the books, but so far I am finding a lot of availability. We're lucky to have such a big library system. Yeah, for sure. I just finished Rabbit Cake last night. Have you ever heard of this? It's by Annie Hartnett. It reminded me of that Girl Interrupted. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. About the girl in the... Winona Ryder. Yeah. Mental health ward. Mm -hmm. There's some mental health stuff in this book. um, But these two sisters are mourning the death of their mother who died in a drowning accident. She was a sleepwalker, and she went out and drowned in the night. 
And so it's charting their grief over an 18-month period. And it's got some crazy stuff going, but it's written from the perspective of like a 12-year-old. And I thought that it was it was it was fairly believable. You know, I hmm. I, I I appreciated it. A little bit hard to read. But my favorite book is a Christmas gift. I had given my husband a hint that I had heard about this book called The Lost Words on KQED. They were interviewing the author, Robert McFarlane. It's illustrated by Jackie Morris. And the way that it was described, Monica is is pawing through it right now. The way that it was... Not pawing. Not pawing. Paging through it right now. Was that in, in 2010, the Oxford English Dictionary for Children, they removed like 20 words to make room for... 20 new words and I guess they have to do this on occasion the 20 new words were like cut and paste tech related words they removed acorn and they removed the book the words that are in this book which are words I use all the time like acorn raven I don't use adder that much but they're all natural history words flowers birds it's got so anyway I thought that this was a book about how they chose which words to remove. And I thought it was going to be more like the interview that I heard on KQED. I had never picked up the book. I hadn't seen it or anything. So I told my husband about it. And when I opened the book Christmas morning, I was stunned because it's a giant illustrated sort of children's book with these poems and incantations about the words that were lost. Fern is one of the words, acorn. And it's kind of heartbreaking to hear that the way that they described it from the from the OED perspective is it's not that these words are lost. It's that they have fallen below a certain threshold in the publishing world so that cut and paste outweighs fern. You know, there's more instances of cut and paste than there is of ivy. So that's how they decide what they're going to cut. And I just thought that I was so surprised, even though I had sort of asked for this book. A kingfisher. Do you know how I have painted kingfishers like 15 times in the past three years? (laughs) It's beautiful. And they have the word and they have a picture and they have kind of a poem like where kids will do it with their name where you write the name. Vertically. vertically and then you do a sentence or a you know a, for, each, for each letter for each letter and then there's a full page and this is a big book like, it this is, is not your normal size book it's even bigger than a traditional picture book it's like um i don't know maybe 11 by 14 yeah beautiful book and that was a giant christmas surprise for me because i had no idea what i like I said, I, I thought it was a, a book book, <laughs> and it turns in, out that it's a much more visual, poetic journey about these words. Magpie is another one of the words. Words, So anyhow, if you get a chance and can find this and, and page, not paw, page through it, I think you'll really... Otter! I know. Did you take out Otter? Oh my gosh, this is a beautiful book. Yeah. 
Wow. I'm glad I saved it for last. Yes. So. Okay. That um, is what I'm reading. Oh, wow. We've been busy on the horizon moving moving forward. I guess this is a little very January Janice moment. We'll yes. look forward and back, back and forward. All right. Yeah. So last year, my knitting goals were to knit sweaters. I think I wanted to knit at least five. I don't know if that was my goal or that was just in my mind. But I did knit... I finished six sweaters last year, like actual sweaters. One of them I had started like in October of the previous year, and then I finished it on January 10th or something. So that one's a little dicey, but I'm sure I did a lot of the knitting in January. Maybe not. Anyway, so five or six sweaters last year. Either way, I think that's pretty good. Um, yes. So along with many other things, as we talked about before. I don't even think I bought five or six. Well, I know I didn't. <laughs> so that was fun. My other goal wasn't a goal, it was a thought that I might try and do it because it was a big year for anniversaries and birthdays. So maybe doing some sort of grand project for one of those events, or all of those events, and I did grand projects for none of them. Not even little projects. So I'm okay with that. It was sort of, it, it wasn't... It was an idea. It was an idea, and it didn't happen. So so for this year, yeah, I'll probably continue doing sweaters. Uh, I want to do more charity knitting. I want to send the hats for teens um, I want to try and do that maybe try and do one one hat a month that seems totally doable hats are really fast and I want to try and use up a lot of my leftover stash I have half balls of yarn quarter balls of yarn um, and so that kind of works with this project there's a lot of good hat projects like the stash busting helix hat which is you know kind of designed to use use up leftovers so going through and, and kind of working down because I have really nice yarn down there that is just sitting there and it makes me happy to work with it again and kind of think about what I used it for previously and then to kind of send that that love out into the world. So I think that will be a nice goal. And the, the double hat that I did, the full spectrum hat that I did, it was designed to use, or the skein of yarn was designed to make it one seamless piece of work, but you could absolutely do it with scraps and make it stripey and do whatever you wanted with it. So. Fun. So that could be fun. Uh, yeah, that's my knitting. Oh, and the other thing I want to do, just knitting related, is to start a craft, cook, read, repeat Ravelry group. So for those of you that are on Ravelry, come over and find the group. Um, those of you that are not on Ravelry, come join us. Ravelry is kind of, it's often described as the Facebook of the knitting world, and it's so much more than that. <laughs> um, but the main thing is it has, you can have a group and you can have discussion threads. So it's a little bit easier, I find, of a way to have discussions. Um, we've been trying to do it on Instagram. It's a little hard to have that back and forth, I think. So this should make it a little bit easier. Uh, anybody is welcome to join. They don't, don't ask for a lot of personal information and you can spend as little or as much time on there. So even if you're not a knitter, please come over and join us. Um, and we'll put links to the website. I mean, it's Ravelry.com. Pretty easy, but we'll put links in the show notes. Sounds good. Yeah, and you can start your own discussions. We'll have monthly discussions. We'll have <clears throat> threads for the, the episodes and, you know, what are you cooking? What are you reading? We can talk about all of that stuff. Sounds good. Oh. Thank you. Easel. Easel. Okay. My big easel goal last year was to paint daily, and I had a lot of success. 
I did not paint every single day because I traveled some, and that was tricky. But you were pretty close. But I was pretty close. I have over 300 paintings from the year, so I'm, I'm happy about that. So I want to keep up that momentum, and I plan to do my Lemon Latitude project. I want to do some portraits, and it could be part of that project, and it might be a famous person from one of these countries or places, or just a person, not necessarily famous. I want to do some more art education for myself. So when I was in New York with my sister, there was an artist whose work I wasn't really familiar with, and I ordered a couple of his books. Now I'm thinking, you know, I spent a lot of time in art history classrooms, but felt really saturated at the time. You know, it was just so much material, and you would only get glimpses of certain people's work and too much of somebody else's that the instructor felt was important. And so anyway, I'm going to kind of follow my bliss here and look at portrait artists or seascape artists or anyway, and aim for like once a month doing a deep dive in one particular artist or, or hmm. genre. So kind of on your own, not mm -hmm. taking an official class or... I might take a class, but not an art history class. I have so... I have fatigued of it still and it's been 20 years I am going to update my website my CourtneySpillane.com website and that will be good because then I can I can have more of a home for this project there and then it doesn't have to solely live on Instagram and I can share more of the background material my big fail if that can be said from 2019 was all my talk about sewing and then all I did was utility sewing like mending and I don't and I think I made one shirt oh, for all oh. of that sewing that I did I did pillowcases for friends and oh my gosh a lot of sewing for other people mm. and not a lot for myself so I'm not going to make any pronouncements and we'll just see where that goes okay that's all i have to say about the sewing table table uh what did i want to do last year prep cooking um that was off and on like mostly it's been off i think it's just not how i cook i think i need to kind of realize that and figure out that's just not my style and yeah and maybe r2d2 will help yes <laughs> just gotta figure out i think yeah what's gonna work for me and I'm not going to be cooking big batches. I don't, I have not yet figured out how to make that work for me. Yeah. And your household is in like dietary flux too, you know, with half and half. It's not like you all eat the same thing all the time. Well, but we mostly do generally, really? except for, yeah. I mean, pasta is the exception. I will make two kinds of pasta, but generally. Is that because you don't like gluten-free pasta? Yes. <laughs> it's gotten much better and I probably could just make it for everyone but I haven't quite made that switch yet but other than that it's most most of what we eat you know I might do some chicken for the boys but I won't I won't necessarily eat it and I've done some meals where it, like the pumpkin chili is just vegetarian gluten-free we all eat the same thing and so I think and that's sort of one of my goals is to kind of work our way into that into getting us eating more vegetarian meals across the board um, and the boys, in general, seem okay with that. I'm still not at 100% at that. 
yeah, just kind of working at that. And uh, yeah, that was my other goal was more vegetables. Or that was your goal. It was kind of both. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we've been doing, he's been vegetarian for a year. So it's it has been a year of struggle. But I think I'm getting there. And it's, yeah, just figuring out how to make it work for all of us. It still feels more tricky than cooking meat-based entrees for me. So I'm still figuring that out. And if I'm not available to cook, I don't, it doesn't feel like something I can handle. Mm. Whereas I can say like, hey, saute the chicken, cook some rice. I can't quite do that with the vegetables yet. Like something happens and I've got to change the schedule around and I'm not going to be home, but someone else is. It's not, not quite as easy, but we'll get there. How about you? Last year, my goal was to have more vegetables in our diet. And I think I did pretty well with that. Definitely amped up the lentils and chickpeas and quinoa element. And we have way, way backed off on our meat consumption. So I feel like that was a success. The produce bags are going strong. That shift worked and it's pretty much autopilot now. The only thing that I've seen that I do want to try are those like silicone wraps that go over bowls. I got to get a set of those. I do use... um, But your produce bags are working well. Yeah, I keep them in a plastic bag and, you know, the same plastic bag. I just Mm -hmm. keep swap it, swap them out. But yeah, I wash them all the time and it's, it definitely feels good to have those when I'm at the grocery store. And we have switched to... Um, those wax food wraps, you know, they're they're like wax oh, like canvas, beeswax. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the beeswax ones, yeah. yeah. And I did receive some for Christmas too, so I have a I have a pretty good supply of those. Yeah, I was at the grocery store and there was a woman who brought in her glass, not Tupperware, but the glass jars, flares, glass mm-hmm. jars uh, for meat. Yeah, I have seen that. So I am definitely not there yet. But I'm definitely I was not pretty there impressed. yet either. Yeah, that's admirable. My food goal is to continue with our, we have a much better vegetable balance now and we'll continue, I think, to back off the red meat and hopefully add a little bit more fish um, if the boys are are amenable to that. But I'm really excited to do the different recipes from different places and, and doing at least one sweet, one savory from each place. And like I said, I got a really great response from the family. So yeah. that should be easy. And I maybe saying it out loud is always good for me. I foresee a great little recipe collection alongside of all of the art oh, yeah. and the reading list from this. So that tangible goal is, is appealing to me. Oh yeah. And I need to use my instant pot. Oh, yes, you do. Now that I have it. That should be a goal for for me, too, is to make sure that I'm using the tools and equipment that take up space in my kitchen. Mm -hmm. For the most part, I do. But I did pull something out at Christmas time, and I thought, why do I even have this? I never use it. Uh, Reading. Reading. Reading goals. I read 85 books last year. I looked it up, so that was pretty good. My goal was 75 on Goodreads, which actually does nothing for me. I'm kind of like, Okay, I read a lot of books. I don't know. I read because I want to read that. And I don't really feel, I don't feel like I need to be reading more. So. Yeah. But it's kind of, I guess, amusing to, to have that goal. 
I did sign up for the Modern Mrs. Darcy reading goal. Not a club, really. She sends you um, a reading guide. That was my goal last year was to maybe um, do a reading challenge. That's what I'm looking for to stretch what I was reading. And we never, I never really found one. We kind of did our own over the summer. The bingo one was great. Yeah, so that was fun. But I never found one that I wanted for the whole year. But I do feel like I definitely read different books, challenged myself to some extent. Like I said, I'm reading much more romance and fantasy and different authors that I haven't been reading. There might be one for you from Read, Plant, Bloom. I might have that wrong. It's Stephanie Howell on Instagram and she is she is a blogger and military spouse and she lives in Alaska right now and she has three little girls and she does five little girls and she does a ton of reading and and blogs about it a lot and she does a fair bit of romance because I think she is looking for um, that escape happy ending kind of stuff so I'll point you towards her yeah you and everyone listening yes. towards her list because I know she has a, a pretty active challenge and it's month to month. Okay. So you could do it for a month and then... Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I will check that out. Um, yeah, Modern Mrs. Darcy has one. She's the Ann Bogle who has the What Should I Read Next podcast, which is always doing horrible mm-hmm. things to my to-be-read list in, a, in that it keeps adding books. Right. Um, and so she has, I think, 12 different challenges. One, you know, you can do it in whatever order you want. And it's things like read a book from a decade when you were born and all those things. And then she's been giving ideas of things you might read, you know, prize winners, a lot of some of the same things that we did. So nothing that looked terribly, terribly challenging to me, um, but a good way to remind myself to keep expanding my horizons. Oh, and um, The Won't Be Vegetarian is also doing a food challenge she gives you an item an ingredient once a month and includes recipe for it with breakfast lunch and dinner and you can make any of them and post it and there's prizes and that's um so again just trying to get you out of your comfort zone try new things um so this month is citrus so i'm hoping to try that recipe soon to lose uh, cauliflower steaks with a citrus salsa Hmm. it looks kind of good I think Tuesday Nights is a great cookbook to get you out of your comfort zone, personally. Yes, this is true. I can't wait to talk about it. I know, next time. Your reading goals? Successes, goals. I read 62 books in 2019. Nice. I finished 62 books. I sent a lot back to the library. Mm, I think that's a win, too. Yeah, and I haven't kept track of how many I've sent back, but there were definitely two dozen. Wow. Yeah, I was harsh this year. (laughs) Good for you. I'm aiming for similar. Like you said, it's it's not like there was one year that I read 50 books. And then the year before that, I had like 103. So it's it all depends on the ebb and flow. Um, I think I'm painting a lot. And if 62 books lets me paint a lot and still have a solid reading life, I'm great with that. Yeah. And audiobooks is good yeah. for that. Yeah, absolutely. And the... Art books take longer for me to read. They're big and unwieldy, and they're not as as quick as uh, a mystery. Well, yeah, like if I read a romance first versus reading The Starless Sea, which is, I don't know, like 600 pages of right. dense writing. Right. It's a whole different experience. I don't know that I had a, a goal for how many books I was going to read this year. I think it was one a week. 
Um, so, like I said, I'm happy oh, yeah. to read at least one book per week. Okay. I And I did read one of the presidential, not the biography, but the one with Eleanor and Frank, oh, yeah. Franklin Roosevelt. Uh-huh. But, I, again, wrapping my limb and latitude project into this, reading at least a book per place, if possible. I mean, some places might be very obscure and maybe not have a book or an author associated with it. I am trying to find a woman author just because that interests me to sort of see what's available. Right. I just picked up a stack of Dutch female authors, so I'm excited <laughs> to see what see what's in store for that. And I'm going to include a little bit of poetry oh. when possible. Nice. Yeah. Sounds like some good plans for the year. All right. The giveaway. I got swag for Christmas. My husband ordered a whole bunch of Craft Cook Read Repeat sweatshirts, hoodies. They're very comfy. I have one. Courtney has one. And we have some to give away. So, so first of all, we'll do the giveaway. You can write a comment on the episode post on Instagram just saying, I want one. And we will do a drawing from that, random. We will also do a drawing from those of you that enter the giveaway thread on our Ravelry group. So two chances. Two chances to win. You will only win once. But you can go to Ravelry and sign up and join the Rav group and do the same thing. Post in the thread, say, hey, I want to win. And so we'll do two giveaways. Um, And we'll probably still have some after that, and we'll figure out what to do with the rest of them if you don't win, but really, really want a hoodie. They are very, very comfortable. They are. He did a good job. Um, I would love to do a giveaway for one of our listeners who submits a Limb and Latitude survey. Sure. And those are going out this week to the initial group who expressed interest, and so... I think we'll we'll wait until we'll wait a couple more episodes. So this first okay. round of giveaways for the Instagram group and Ravelry, we will draw on February sixth. Great. And then that episode will come out on February twelfth. So you have until February sixth to post in this episode, post on Instagram, or come to the Ravelry group and post there that you want to win. And we'll do both of those drawings. And announce them on that podcast. That sounds great. And then we'll so, do another follow-up one down the road for other other things. Other things. Okay. Cool. Since we have two giant boxes of sweatshirts to we do have administer. Yes. Thanks, Simon. <laughs> They're very comfy. They're very soft. All right. So I think that's I think that's plenty for now. Well, yes, we are just starting this decade off with a bang. So welcome to the decade. Uh, Make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Oh, hello, dog. You have the most active dog today. He's very excited. He missed missed podcasting. Clearly. (laughs) Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf. C O R T N E Y S F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M A G D O N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.